I'm Emma G, radio host and girl power presenter. These inspiring chats with women living authentically and kicking goals will get you stepping into your power. Know your worth, rule your realm, become your own powerhouse. Whenever someone says, no, you can't do that, that just really means you can. Now you just kind of have to figure a way around it. You are awesome and you have something that no one else does. No one's journey or path is the same, which is why you should never, ever compare yourself to other people. If you want to do something, you go and do it. Imagine if everyone just spoke their truth. In the Empower House today, we are chatting with Rebecca Morse. She is an award-winning journalist and was made redundant from her position that she was so well known for as the face of the Channel 10 News Bulletin after 14 years there. And I thought, you know, this woman has spent the majority of her working life reporting on other people's stories, interviewing other people and hearing other people's stories. But wow, what must be behind that immaculate presentation? I want to know her stories. Beck now co-hosts a breakfast radio show on SAFM and won a Best Talent Award for that at the Australian Commercial Radio Awards in her first year. She's also a mum to three incredible girls, which gives her a lot of content for her column in Kiddo yes, Magazine. It does. <laughs> and proud ambassador for organisations like Kickstart for Kids, Animal Welfare League, and Port Adelaide Football Club. Yes. She's so real and so honest and an absolute powerhouse. Welcome, Rebecca Morse. Oh, thank you. And thanks for having me. Um, you had to pursue me quite a few times. <laughs> I kept, I, I must admit, I was avoiding you. <laughs> oh, no. I just thought you were a busy woman. No, only because I. I think I had just lost my job at 10 and I just didn't feel in the headspace to talk and I was having lots of people ask me, how are you all the time? Yeah. Um, and I was just in a little fetal bubble for a while. <laughs> um, but um, I'm feeling a lot more ready to, <laughs> to yeah. talk. Thank you. Totally understand. <laughs> yeah, well, well, let's delve into that a little bit because sort of from the outside, I feel like you look like you have got it all. And got it all together. And so can you just tell us a bit about your journey of how you have come to be where you are now professionally? Yeah, look, it wasn't an overnight success and I would hate people to think that there's any um, easy journey, particularly in uh, media. Um, I didn't decide till like, the end of year 12 that I wanted to do journalism. And by that time, I had picked all the wrong subjects. I'd picked like <laughs> physics and chem and maths and I was so bad at them. <laughs> um, so I actually didn't get the grades to get into journalism, which is really competitive. Yep. Um, so I did a couple of years of an arts degree, but I'm so glad I did that because it really built a hunger and a passion. And I knew because I couldn't get it straight away that I really wanted to do journalism. Mm. So by the time I managed to get the grades and transfer across into my journalism degree, I worked so hard um, and was sure that that's what I wanted to do. Then I was really lucky to get a cadetship at the ABC, which is just the best training ground. I'm so grateful for that time right. because it's just the best training ground. Mm. And the other great thing about the ABC, and this is advice that I give young journalists all the time, is they make you go to the country. So I got shipped out. I think I was 21, 22. I got shipped out to Port Pirie. I'd only ever lived at home. My mum made me dinner every night, yeah, did my right. washing, made my bed. And then here I was. <laughs> in Port Pirie not knowing a soul and having to fill daily news bulletins and find the stories myself, write them, present the news bulletins, um, and I was so green. 
and I learned so much about my craft and about myself in the country. So I know we have a lot of sort of girls who come out of uni and they go, oh, I just want to be on television straight away. Mm. Um, and you really have to be prepared to, to do the, the hard yards. What a growth experience yeah. that is. It was when I yeah. got there, I said, oh, so where do I get the stories from? Who write? And they're like, no, 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 <laughs> well, you get the stories. You ring the police. You, you know, you go to court, you go to council meetings, you dig up the stories, you work contacts, you, and I was like, oh, okay. And yeah. And from the ABC, I was really keen to move around um, and get more experience. So I worked um, in Darwin with the ABC and then I moved to Brisbane. Oh, wow. Um, moved and, around a bit. Yeah. And then I had intended to stay in Brisbane for a while. And I think I probably ultimately wanted to be a foreign correspondent. And then I got pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't part of the plan. No. So at 26, um, I had a bit of a uh, surprise uh, pregnancy, which is my beautiful 17-year-old daughter, Grace, who I would never, ever uh, send back. But that um, took the whole career path on a real sort of tangent. Um, and my partner, James, and I said, right, we've got to move back to Adelaide because I need my mum. So we moved back to Adelaide and then I had a year off maternity leave, had Grace, and then was back at the ABC for a little bit when the um, Channel 10 opportunity came up. And then, uh, yes, as you said, I did that for 14 years before the axe fell on that one. Mm, Wow. What an awesome journey that you've had. So what would you say was kind of your big break? I think the thing is it wasn't just an overnight thing or one thing I did. I I hope it was because of my work ethic. When I was at the ABC, I put my hand up to do everything. I do radio. Um, I remember working all night one night to do a story to cut up for AM because I really wanted to be on AM and I just worked all night to edit it. And that was a really proud moment when I heard my voice on AM. Um, Just put my hand up for all opportunities. Uh, Tried to learn from all the senior journalists. Um, And then I guess my opportunity that caught the eye of Channel 10 was I got a maternity leave contract reading the um, ABC News on the weekend. So um, I was lucky enough that actually the news director at 10 at the moment, his mum saw me on the ABC and I think she liked the way I pronounced words. (laughs) You are very articulate. Well, that's the thing. So I'm a Blackwood High girl um, and people often go, oh my God, it sounds like you went to some posh private school. No, (laughs) Blackwood was a great school. So um, I was just really lucky, I think, that um, that this mum said, oh, if you're hiring, I like this girl on the ABC and I had really short, short cropped hair. And the first thing they told me at 10 was that I had to grow my hair. (laughs) So as soon as I went commercial, I sort of lost control of the image a little bit. So, um, yeah, I think it was just, um, just working hard until you get recognized. I don't think there's an overnight success story Mm -hmm. or any sort of, you know, silver bullet. I think you just have to put the work in. Showing your commitment, showing your dedication. Never saying no to an opportunity and it might end in a dead end or it might be the one that opens the door. You just don't know. So Mm. I was just back in, and that was, you know, I was only had the one child at the time. I had lots of family support. I had a lot more freedom, I guess, to say yes to to most of the opportunities Mm. that I was offered. So when we hear you on the radio or saw you on the news, I think people sort of from the outside think that that appears to be really easy or you just get behind the mic and you start talking or you just sit behind the desk and you just read what's on the teleprompter. Can you give us a bit of a behind the scenes of how it actually all works? Yeah. Well, uh, telly is not as easy as it looks. I think a lot of people also had the misconception that I sort of rocked in at four o'clock to hair and makeup and then read an auto cue and then went home. Yeah. So I would um, get in and 
uh, I would write all the news updates, write them, cut the pictures for them and then present them. I think so many people don't realise that newsreaders actually write the news as well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't write, I mean, I didn't write the stories for the, the actual intros, but all the updates throughout the day yeah. um, I read and then I'd pre-read obviously all the intros and make any sort of changes, like grammatical changes or any style changes. I'm like, oh, that sounds a bit awkward. I didn't make any major changes, but um, yeah, it, it is pretty hands-on. Um, and I think for radio, it's just such a completely different, different skill to TV and it actually took me a long while to make that kind of transition and let my guard down because television you're so straight Mm -hmm. you can't express an opinion you rarely stray from the script and then I think for the first you know few months of me doing radio I was like oh I can I can express an opinion or I can be a bit stupid or Mm -hmm. um so they're two very very um different roles Mm. And what do you think maybe that people don't see behind the scenes in radio of what goes on? Can you give us like a quick sort of day in the life of? Uh, Yeah, I think people might assume, (laughs) and this is probably because we talk so much rubbish, they might assume (laughs) that we just turn the mics on and just see what comes out. Um, There's quite a bit of planning. So we have a planning meeting straight after the show when we finish um, to put some stuff in for the next day. And then we have a WhatsApp group. So throughout the day, you know, if anything funny happens or the kids say something funny or we, we just put a stream of ideas in the WhatsApp group and then uh, during the evening one of our producers sends through a few suggestions of, you know, things, stories that might have broken or interesting sort of talking pieces. So I kind of feel like the show is constantly being planned 24-7. So you've yeah. always got your mind on content. On content, yeah. Possible because, content. Yeah. So having been in the media for so long, you're very much in the public eye mm. um, and especially on your Instagram Everything, I guess, appears so glamorous, you know, the events and the brunching and the freebies and the fashion. What's been your experience? Is the reality really that glamorous? Yeah. Um, I hope that everyone understands um, that Instagram is a highlights reel um, and I'm probably a little bit guilty of only putting the pretty things up there. I do try and put a few more real stuff um, on my stories on Insta rather than the, the grid. <laughs> Look, uh, I'm lucky uh, oh, maybe 5% is glamour and and I have had some amazing experiences. I've been able to go to the Logies, um, the Adelaide Fashion Festival. So there are some glamorous events that you go to. But that's not the entirety of it. Like obviously the rest of the time you're, you know, you're in an office, you're churning out updates. Talking of social media, have you had any experiences where you felt like it's negative to be in the public eye? Um, Yes. Have you sort of experienced any criticism um, or anything that sort of made you feel like, gee, I need to develop a bit of a thicker skin if I'm going to be in this industry. Yeah, that is tough. The criticism is one of the toughest parts of my role, but I do understand that because I put myself out there and because my career is to be in the public eye, I understand that I'm going to attract a bit of it and that I have to just toughen up and and suck it up. Mm. Um, It's funny because... When I was a newsreader for so many years and just doing that, I hardly received any negative feedback. Somebody might message and say, I hate your jacket tonight or your hair looks stupid or it was, or you said this one word wrong, but it was never really personal. So it didn't bother me. Mm. Um, the first exposure to it was when I started um, writing a column in the messenger newspapers and I actually got off Facebook as a result. I'm not on Facebook at all because I just feel like that's the most toxic space. I don't know why. I don't know whether it's all the people under rocks that seem to be on Facebook. Mm, and I warriors. was, yeah, I was writing stuff similar to what I do now in my mum file. I was just confessing things that I found hard as a mum or things that I'd messed up. 
And I would just get people say, oh, well, you know, why did you have kids if you can't look after them properly? Like really personal, horrible stuff about myself as a mother. Now I can take criticism of myself as a journalist or, but when you criticize me as a mother, that hurt. So I got off Facebook for a start. Um, I don't read the comments. I think that's the best thing for me to do is I, I, I stay off public forums but obviously if people get onto my personal Instagram and tag me and stuff I will see it mm. um, I have two strategies if it's Twitter and they're a troll I just delete and block straight away I just yep. block them um, on Instagram sometimes I will take them on sometimes I will DM them um, good I, on yeah, you yeah right um, if I kind of get the impression that they might be like a reasonable person who's just said something uh, it's often late at night. I'll wake up on a Sunday morning while someone's had a few beers and they've decided to have a go at me. Um, and sometimes I think when people realise that you're a real person, sometimes they'll apologise and back down and sometimes they'll delete their comment. I'm pretty lucky I don't cop it much. But, um, yeah, I, I think when you put yourself out there and also when you express an opinion on radio, um, you do open yourself mm. up. Uh, Cosy and I had a fight about um, football on the radio <laughs> and that <laughs> that attracted. I think if you if you express a divisive opinion, you've got to expect that people are going to disagree with you. Sure. Um, and the only alternative is to not have an opinion at all and then there's no point being in the media. So, mm. yeah, but it's hard. I haven't got good at it yet. I'm getting better at it. I haven't got good at it yet. Yeah, that must be really hard. And when you're being sort of targeted for, say, what you're wearing or saying a word wrong or something, have you found that you think maybe that might be because you're female? Like if you were male in the industry, do you think there are some challenges you've faced specifically because you're a woman? Um, I have been pretty lucky in that I have never found my gender to be a disadvantage. I think um, the media, the television media is still very female dominated, um, but definitely the criticism is harder. I think basically because men just wear a suit and tie and the only thing that can change is the color of their tie. So I kind of get, I kind of get that because we're a bit more out there in our fashion choices, we're going to cop it more. But the thing I have learned, it's that women are toughest on women with their appearances. But, you know, I'm sure you've done it as well. Em. I will sometimes go when I'm watching the news, oh, I hate that jacket. And my daughters will now pick me up and go, hang on a minute. Don't you always say you should never judge a woman based on what they're wearing? Yeah. So we've, we've, all, we've all got strong opinions on, on fashion. So we've all been guilty of it. But definitely, um, I mean, you know, Carl Stefanovic wore the same suit for like a year and no one noticed. <laughs> so um, I do think women are more um, under scrutiny for their appearance. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And not just for their appearance. I do feel like that as women, we have this like innate competitiveness with other women. Like we kind of seem to compare ourselves to other women and um, feel like we need to maybe put somebody down to make ourselves feel better. Have you found that? Um, Obviously, I have come across some different difficult personalities over the years, but women and men. And I think the media is a very ego-driven industry. Um, so you're going to, you're going to clash with some big egos. I've been pretty lucky. Um, I've, some of my best friends are, are people in the industry. Um, and we build each other up. I am pretty strict about staying in my own lane. If I ever find my mind wandering into, or oh, how come she's doing that? I just shut it down because everybody runs their own race. Um, everyone has different, you know, career goals. And I really try not to compete with other women. And I try and just be happy if my friend or colleague has had success and not see that as any sort of reflection or, or failing on my success or lack of success. I just think you just have to run your own race. I really love that because I really believe that we need to be lifting other women and we become stronger together if we do that rather than 
comparing yeah. all the time and And your time competing. will come or maybe it won't come or you'll have success in another area. Mm-hmm. No one's journey or path is the same, which is why you should never, ever compare yourself to other people. And that is um, and that is another sin, I think, of social media that, of course, people put their highlights. You might go, oh, my gosh, look at that couple. They're so happy and they might not be. Or, yeah. you know, she's just got this promotion. She looks so happy. But you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. They might have other stuff going on in their lives. I just think, uh, yes, uh, comparison is the thief of joy, I think, is something I think that probably my nana said to me. <laughs> Well, it's worked. Yeah. What, how have you developed this resilient attitude, your confidence? Um, well, I'm not confident all the time. (laughs) Um, gosh, you ask some of the producers after the show, I'll go, oh, I think that break I did was really crap. I wish I hadn't said that. Or do you think it sounded stupid when I said that? I second guess myself every single day. Right. So you still have some of that self-doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I'll, I'll often, um, uh, you know, I, I try and listen back to the podcast every day and I'm like, oh, that's, I, that sounds like the, I said this wrong or no, no, no. I self-critique myself all the time, okay. but I guess you just have to back yourself. Um, I, I don't have a secret to it. Uh, yeah. I guess the, the answer is I, I'm not completely confident all the time. And you're okay with that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, because every day is a different day and I've got an opportunity to have another go at it or improve or I think self-reflection and understanding when you've made a mistake or you haven't done things well um, is the best way to improve. So I don't think I'll ever be really happy and confident in what I've done because then you're not growing. That's a really great approach. Always growing and always learning and always looking for ways to develop yourself. I can't imagine ever being 100% happy looking back at something Mm -hmm. that I've done. Otherwise, yeah, there's no room for improvement. That's really interesting. So I know that I'm constantly critiquing myself and what I do because I feel like this need to perfect what I'm doing. Would you say that you suffer from perfectionism? Uh, No. I think I've really cut myself a lot of slack and I think that comes from having the three kids and the two jobs for so long (laughs) is that nothing was ever perfect and nothing was ever going to be perfect it just couldn't be I just physically and mentally couldn't do every single thing that I did perfectly so I just let it slide so I think my kids are amazing in that I'll be they'll ask me to do something or be someone I can't I can't get you there I'm so sorry Um, when you have a working parent you can't do all of the things so I I just allow myself to fail. And again, that's why I had this mum fail um, segment on SAFM because I want mums to know that things are going to slip between the cracks and you're going to stuff things up. Um, So I can't be a perfectionist because I just wouldn't be able to hold myself up to the standards that that I would want. So I just... You've acknowledged you just, you can't have it all together all the time. Yeah, (laughs) you just do your best and you might have an amazing day at work and then you go home and you've forgotten to pack something in the kid's bag and then there'll be another day where I'll, I'll, you know, I'll... I'll have to leave work here early to get to sports day. And then I feel like I've let let the work team down. So it's just a constant juggle. Um, And I read this great analogy recently where you have all these balls in the air and you just have to work out which are the glass balls. So which are the ones that are going to smash if you drop them and which are the ones are going to bounce. So maybe, maybe, you know, if, if you forget to brush your hair for photo day, if your kid's hair for photo day, that's a rubber ball, you know, big deal. But if you miss a special presentation that's important to them, that's a glass ball. So I loved that analogy. It's not mine, <laughs> but I kind of think, okay, that's a rubber ball. I can drop that one today yeah. and just make sure that you prioritise the really important ones. Yeah, a really good tip there to help to help work out what's important in yeah. life. And do you have any tips for um, overcoming any negative self-talk? If people are sort of saying to themselves, I need to have this all together, mm. I need to do this and this and this, what can you say to yourself, you know, 
know, I love that analogy about the balls. Do you yeah. have any other sort of tips about how yeah. you might combat that negative yeah. self-talk going on? Um, I guess just recognise where it comes from. Like if it comes after you've scrolled through Instagram, maybe get off the socials for a while, maybe call a friend who you know is going to build you up, surround yourself with people who who matter. Like you, you, we talked about how this can be glamorous. If I go to an event and I surround myself with people who aren't perhaps my close friends, if I have a coffee with a girlfriend on the weekend who's close to me, you kind of feel grounded by that. So I think mm-hmm. work out the things that make you feel grounded or mine is just to take the dog and go for a walk along the beach. So just separate yourself, wherever you're feeling that negative self-talk, just separate yourself from it, clear your mind, remove yourself from the toxic people or the toxic social media um, and surround yourself with the people who make you feel good. And for me, it's usually my kids. If I, they're, they're instantly grounding, like no matter what has happened, you know, a hug from, that sounds really lame. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds it doesn't. super It lame. sounds beautiful it actually. Sounds lame. <laughs> but if Frankie gives me a hug and says she loves me, then you know, any negativity um, is pretty much out the window for that time. Well, it's a reminder of what's important in exactly. life. Really, yeah, you just got to work out what those important things are. Let's talk about your three beautiful daughters yes. for a second. So having three girls, yeah. what kind of um, messages, key messages, would you do you try to instill in mm. them as young women? Yeah, it is a bit of a tough balance because I am aware that I used to come home from TV with all like full hem makeup in this immaculate suit and then I would tell them not to worry about appearance and image and um, what they look like so it's it I have tried to balance the fact I know mummy's on television or used to be but that's not what's important um I'm really lucky that they all have this really strong sense of social justice they're really like we were walking through the city the other day and there were all these um fast food containers on the grass and my 17 year old said let's pick it up and so she started picking up this rubbish in the middle of the city and then we all all sort of pitched in and I just went, wow, I've done okay. <laughs> like I've been a largely absent mum, but look at you. I've um, done something right. Yeah. <laughs> Amila, my middle child, just did an assignment on um, uh, Indigenous affairs and she's really passionate about Aboriginal rights. So I'm just trying to instill a real sense of social justice in them, but also, I'm very aware they are on screens too much. Like, I don't want to paint them as these perfect children. Grace is on Snapchat all the time. So, yeah, it, it's a challenge raising girls, particularly the body image stuff. Yeah. So I'm really conscious of, of trying to make sure that particularly my 17-year-old isn't isn't looking at these pictures of models on touched up models on Instagram and thinking that that's real. I think navigating the parenting of girls. Mind you, I've never parented boys, so I don't know about that. <laughs> but I just feel really conscious about the the body image and the self-confidence stuff in girls because of social media. So I'm just always banging on about that's not that's not real life. And I think you're in an amazing position to do that because you are in the public eye. So you can speak from that side yeah. as well. I hope so. It's hard. Parenting is hard. That's the hardest that's the hardest thing I do being a mum. The the career stuff seems easy. Raising three little girls is hard. <laughs> and what would you want young women to know most about that message of, of self love and, yeah. and loving who you are and that body image stuff? You know, do you have some sort of um, I guess advice that you tell, I guess, your daughters yeah. and any young women out there that are perhaps feeling you know, not good about who mm. they are. I think we're seeing some good stuff happen on Instagram now where some of the influencers are showing their pictures when they feel a little fat or there's a role or whatever. I, so I feel like we are seeing a bit of a change in, in that, which is really good. I just think the number one 
um, message is that that's, you've got to know that that's the highlights reel that people are putting on there. Like, of course, you might be seeing the best thing they've done for a week, but they might have had, you know, a, a day where they were like in, in tracksuits crying, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so and we I don't d- see that. Yeah. yeah. So um, I just really, and, and, and really that run your own race. I just think competitiveness um, and looking at other people and assuming their life is better is just, is really, really dangerous. If you could go back, say, 20 years ago, what would you tell Beck? Oh, What's okay. your greatest lesson, do you think? All right. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a good lesson that's a very specific lesson that I still, like I try not to have regrets about mistakes, but when I was a cadet at the ABC, we had a big dinner with all of the big bosses and I was really nervous and I sat next to a very senior ABC journalist who kept topping up my glass of red wine and I ended up vomiting in the toilets that night. <laughs> And I just wanted to make a good impression. The next day, um, we had a hair appointment. They took us to this styling session where we were to learn how to do our hair. And I vomited in the waste <laughs> mask because I was so hungover. The next year, when the new batch of cadets came through, in the opening speech, they said, now this is an exclusive for you, Em, because I have <laughs> never admitted this, but I wanted to think of a story that would actually be a lesson. They said, last year, somebody... They didn't name me, got really drunk at the cadet intake and they made a really bad first impression. Oh. Don't be that person. So I became the cautionary, the the cautionary tale <laughs> for what not to do. And um, I just think, and this sounds preachy because I love a wine, I just think drinking in front of the bosses is there's never any good going to come of that. And I have always, always regretted. I mean, Obviously, it didn't hold my career back, thank goodness, but I felt so embarrassed and so much regret about that one night that it still makes me feel ill. I've never drunk red wine since. (laughs) So I wish I could tell 20-year-old Beck just just to have had a soda water (laughs) that particular night. But I think the other thing is I think everybody has had a big night that they regret and said something to someone senior or, you know, but so I guess... I have recovered from it, (laughs) but that could have been the nail in my coffin. So I would always, always regret So soda water for you at the Christmas party this year. Well, yeah. I mean, you've seen me at the Christmas party. And um, I probably haven't learned the lessons I should have from that, from that night. But yeah, so just be a little bit careful when you're around your bosses so you don't have lifelong regret about about passing out in the toilet at a fancy dinner. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that exclusive. Um, So that's a great lesson for Beck 20 years ago. Just to finish up, what would you say, um, I would just love for you to give a sort of little pep talk to our listeners, a lesson for them to to maybe a bit of like a soul spritzer, something to leave them with. Maybe it's something that you say to yourself if you need a little bit of a boost. Maybe it's something you say to your girls, something that um, people can sort of be left with to feel inspired and and motivated in their lives. Um, I guess it's a bit of a heavy one, but I think there's a, there's a line in a uh, Florence in the Machine song. I think it goes something like it's always darkest before the dawn. And I often think that when you think you're at rock bottom and you think there's no hope, always something comes up around the corner. There's always some light around the corner. You know, me losing my job at 10 is probably the toughest thing that's ever happened to me. But um, I did feel pretty low at times. Luckily, I still had my SAFM job and I'm very aware that a lot of people have lost their jobs during COVID and have had nothing. Mm. Um, So I don't at all hold myself up to be some poster girl for unemployment. But um, (laughs) it's probably the biggest professional sort of hurdle and failure I've ever had to face. And 
I'm feeling really positive around the corner. I, it's something had to give for me. Um, I was working way too hard and, um, and so I guess I'm, I'm grateful for that. So I guess sometimes you should be able to see that a failure or a negative can actually be turned into an opportunity and a positive. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you so much for the chat today. Ah. And thank you for being so real and open and really showing us that we don't need to be Miss Perfect no. and that we can achieve what we put our mind to, but it's okay to be a bit of a hot mess behind yeah, the scenes. Yeah, and there are always <laughs> going to be failures along the way. I mean, imagine if you achieved every single goal you ever set out to achieve. You would you would never appreciate it. You'd take it for granted. You have to have the failures along the way. Um, otherwise, you won't you know, appreciate the, the pinnacle when you reach it. So true. Absolutely. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Ah, Oh, pleasure, treasure. <laughs> if you were as inspired by this chat as I was, please share it on your Instagram story. It would be awesome. And tag me if you like so I can see that you loved it at Emma Georgiatis. This is a completely independent podcast, so I'd be so grateful if you'd rate or review Empower House if you've enjoyed listening and spread the word so we can lift and motivate others who are working on their worthiness to believe in themselves too. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, you got this.